Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is JR and I'm... Ah, shit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is JR and as always I'm joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, JR? I'm doing great here. Just enjoying this uh, upcoming fall weather that we're, we're experiencing now. I'm going to miss the summer, but it's, it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's going to be a great fall. Football season will help you forget about the summer real fast. It's one week in and I'm really excited about it. It's been a really interesting week, but for our regular listeners, yes, you did hear that right. We are now the sports wrap up. We wanted to make a little pivot to kind of highlight our mission and what we're looking to do. Uh, as always, we're going to give you our two cents on what's going on, but Really, the mission and what we're setting out to do is give you everything that's relevant and interesting within an hour's worth of a podcast. We don't need to go on and on about what jersey number players are wearing at practice or what LeBron's eating for lunch on a Wednesday. Not really interested in oversaturating you with information. We want to bring you thoughtful insight, avoid the hot takes, and really take a moment to think about it before we speak, before we put this podcast out to you. We all we know that all of your lives are busy. Maybe you have kids, you, have, you work 60 hours a week, and you go to the barbecue, you're at your office, you want to be able to talk about sports intelligently, you want to be able to know what's going on in the issues. A lot of times these issues come up where LeBron's this or Antonio Brown's that, and, and you know generally about the issues, but you don't know what's actually going on. So we wanted to kind of just highlight our mission and we want to wrap up the week in sports in, in an hour and give you some thoughtful insight. And as always, we want to hear from you. We're still in the process of changing over our Instagram and Facebook pages. But uh, Marv's got it all set up on Twitter. That's an easy one. He's now at Marv underscore wrap up. So hit Marv up on there. I know he wants to talk to you guys and see what you're thinking during the week. And he'll be sharing his thoughts as well uh, on, a, on a small time basis. We promise to keep it interesting and relevant. But uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. I want to start with this. There were a lot of hot takes in the media early this week after the Antonio Brown saga unfolded. Antonio Brown is insane. Antonio Brown needs mental health checkups, or it's gone to the side of Antonio Brown's now a genius, and Bill Belichick and Antonio Brown were conspiring this whole time. And Let's take a step back and look at the facts. Antonio Brown was traded to the Raiders against his will. He didn't have, by that I mean he didn't have control over his destination. He was forced to go to the Raiders based on Pittsburgh receiving the best offer from the Raiders. So he ends up on the Raiders. The Raiders are not a very good team. They're not in contention. He has some issues. His helmet, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, his helmet checks doesn't check out with the league anymore. He's upset about it because it's the helmet that he's worn for 10 years. Then he comes in and he, he creates more issues. He tweets out and puts on Instagram a fine from Mike Mayock, the general manager. He's upset about the fine. This is not something that you typically do to your boss. <laughs> I know I can't do it. Marv, you can't do it either. So definitely not. <laughs> definitely not something you've been able to do to a boss in the past. So... He tweets it out. He gets into a verbal altercation, calling Mike Mayock a cracker, a racial slur. And um, Mike Mayock's not very happy about that. He finds him 250000 And Antonio Brown further accelerates his 
social media war against the Raiders, and he is cut and released and free to join whichever team he wants. Within a couple hours, he joins the Patriots. It later comes out, and I, and I should note the financials. He was guaranteed over two years and had a third-year option on his contract, but he was guaranteed over two years with the Raiders, $30 million. And he signs with the Patriots for $15 million, with nine of that being guaranteed in a, in a signing bonus, getting that check cut right away to him so that he has nine mil in the bank. Now, originally, you might go ahead and say, like I originally thought, wow, that's a lot of money to leave on the table. He might be a little crazy. 9 million compared to 30 million. But it then later comes out that there is actually a second year option on this contract worth 20 million, all guaranteed. Now, there's no guarantee that the Patriots will actually pick that option up. But when you look at the value of 30 million over two years, and then you look at the value of 35 million over two years, if they pick up the option and the Patriots will not spare any expense if he is successful, I'm certain they'll pick up the option or negotiate somewhere near that option to get him his $30 million over two years. And that idea, that notion that Antonio Brown's insane becomes a little bit less plausible, not to mention the fact that he's with a contender that plays against the team that he wanted to stick it to, the the Pittsburgh Steelers, as a Patriot, and potentially win a Super Bowl, which is the goal of most players beyond making you know making money and financial security. He joins a team that actually has a chance instead of a dumpster fire in Oakland. And people say this is a conspiracy. Antonio Brown's a genius. I want to pump the brakes on that a little bit too. Antonio Brown reminds me a little bit of somebody who is in the Oval Office. 50% of the country thinks he's a genius. of the country thinks he's mentally unstable. And in these situations, the same with Antonio Brown, the truth oftentimes lies somewhere in the middle. Do you think Antonio Brown became a top receiver, maybe the top receiver in the NFL by not knowing what he's doing and putting in a work ethic? Do you think he built a brand so large on social media without knowing what he's doing? Do you think the President of the United States became president by not working hard, by not knowing what he's doing, by not having a strategy. They're not exactly insane, but at the same time, Antonio Brown is an artist of sorts. If you look at the quarterback as a CEO, Antonio Brown, the wide receiver, is a little bit more of an artist. They're a little bit more out there. They've been a little bit more diva-like. And you look at our president, he's been a self-claimed, self-made millionaire. There's debate over that, but he's been wealthy his whole life and kind of able to do whatever he wants, unlike any other politician. So there's some outlier behavior. But at the end of the day, I don't see either one being a genius or either one being mentally unstable. I think they have a plan that's highly adaptive highly changing to the circumstances at hand. And then when they change their plan, they claim victory no matter what. And is it a victory for Antonio Brown? It might be. The other thing is when you don't make a lot of money coming in to punch the clock from eight to five, you make a lot of money and gain success by taking some risks. 
Antonio Brown certainly took a risk, but when you look at the payoff, the reward, $35 million is more than $30 million. One Super Bowl ring is more than no Super Bowl rings with the Raiders. And at the end of the day, the president became president. And I don't mean to make this a political issue, but he did do some ridiculous things that really backlashed at him in the press and, and he won. So sometimes risk pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. And with Antonio Brown's case, it's left to be seen. But I think the moral of the story is that the truth in life is often somewhere in the middle compared to where the far left or the far right or the rich or the poor or the the successful or the unsuccessful people believe there's there's somewhat of a gray area. Marv, it's been a circus without a doubt. People are calling Antonio Brown a clown. People are calling him a genius. In your opinion, where does this fall? So at first when this whole circus began, I was thinking to myself, what is this guy doing? What is wrong with Antonio Brown? But as, you know, the day started going by and something new came up every day, I I was starting to see I was starting to see a trend. As I mentioned to you before uh via text, he mentioned in one of his social media posts that all his moves were calculated. Once I saw that, I knew then this man was trying to find a way to get out out of Oakland if it meant, you know, sacrificing $30 million guaranteed. But at the end of the day, he made a business decision and now a lot of people are, are you know, changing their tune on Antonio Brown and saying, well, maybe this man was a genius after all. Maybe he conspired all offseason to find a loophole in his contract to where he would, you know, piss off the Raiders enough to make them cut him so they wouldn't have to guarantee him anything. That way he can be free to sign with the team of his choosing instead of being forced to play for a franchise who hasn't even sniffed the playoffs more than once in the last 20-something years. So I think at the end of the day, it's talking about Brown made a smart business choice, and we will see. Only time will tell if everything pans out and he ends up winning also Super Bowl while also reaping the benefits of winning, um, sorry, making $5 million more than when he was going to be guaranteed with the Raiders. Now, I want to ask you a question based on what you said, Marv, and this has been kind of the contentious point of debate. I, I believe he had a plan, but do you think that he had this planned all offseason from when he went to the Raiders? Because people are suggesting that Bill Belichick and Antonio Brown conspired to do this, and that's why they're saying he's a genius. They conspired from the very beginning that they were going to do this. Do you think that's the case? I would believe so. I mean, knowing the Patriots and the way they uh, operate, I wouldn't be shocked if he was in communication with Bill Belichick and the Patriots during the offseason. I mean, when his name came up in trade discussions, the Patriots were one of the teams that he was highly interested in being traded to, and the Patriots also showed mutual interest in trading for him. But the Steelers were like, nah, we're not going to be trading you to uh, – uh, arch nemesis of ours directly. There's no way that's going to happen. So they took a lesser trade or lesser, because I, I believe the Patriots were even offering a better package than what the Raiders offered, but the Steelers uh, rejected it and traded them off to Oakland 
and you know, just to spite the Patriots to say, we're you know, it doesn't matter if you give us a first, we're going to trade him here to Oakland because that's our decision. And I think that may have ticked both parties off, uh, Antonio Brown and the Patriots. And that's probably why I think they may have, you know, come together and conspired to make this happen. Yeah, see, I'm not buying the fact that this was a plan from the very beginning. I don't believe in conspiracies. I'm not a big conspiracy guy. You know, the earth isn't flat, Kyrie, and whatever. There's a lot of conspiracies out there, but I don't think it was a major conspiracy. My belief is that based on the evidence, based on those that talked to him, knew him, and certain people at different points of the, let's call it the process that he was going through, and the general consensus of those that talked to him thought he was, when he went to the Raiders, he was in on the Raiders, he was going to play at the Raiders. Then he realized what he was getting himself into. Hard knocks may have been good for his brand, but John Gruden's kind of a strong emotional personality like Antonio. Could have been some butting of heads. It, it was just he could get away with a lot there, and he realized how much he could get away with. And then he perhaps realized that, hey, I can maybe get out of this situation and get to the Patriots after he was flustered and frustrated, specifically, I think, with Mike Mayock, who was trying to create order and create a culture. And I, and I don't, again, I don't mean to make this a political thing. It's just something that people see on a day-to-day basis that I'm trying to relate to. When you look at the erratic behavior in the Oval Office, it's not that he doesn't have a plan. He just kind of adapts it. And this is the point that I'm trying to make it by somebody who is very wealthy, somebody who's very artistic, somebody whose feelings change very often. There's no consequence. I mean, Antonio Brown started out as a six-round pick. And when you're wealthy, like both individuals, you can kind of do whatever you want. And you just kind of do whatever you feel when you wake up in the morning with little to no consequences because you're doing it with confidence because you have the money to do it. So he was like, I don't really care about the money. The president, I don't really care about being elected president. It'd be nice if I would. Be nice if I make more money, Antonio Brown, but it just kind of seems to me like the artist brain in in the mind kind of just moves back and forth. Is that fair to say that it's kind of a moving target? Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, you you, you could be right. Uh, he he noticed he got himself into a big mess that he didn't want to be part of, and he found the easy out, and that's he exploited it and got his wish. So I mean. Honestly, like just watching some of the videos he posted after he was released, I've never seen someone celebrate a release. But I mean, he called his grandmama and everything, and the man went running out in his uh his backyard, was celebrating like he won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I wish him well and wish him success with the Patriots. Hopefully, he can behave, and hopefully. You know, all the nonsense that's showing up on the news right now regarding him gets cleared up and he could just focus on playing football. And I'll wrap it up by saying this. There's no doubt that he had a plan based on what you just said, based on the fact that it came out that he had hired social media consultants to accelerate his release. It's just that his plan seemed to form over time and it keeps changing and adapting. and. I also want to make another comment that $9 million in the bank to the point of his plan, whenever it developed, there was a plan because let's not forget, he made $0 from the Raiders, meaning he had no signing bonus. 
And all of NFL contracts are funny money, except for the fact when you get a signing bonus and he got nine mil as a signing bonus from the Patriots, that's nine million in the bank. That's nine million he can invest and control the way that he wants to. Whereas that $30 million guarantee is still a little bit of funny money. You got the second year, if you're cut by before March, a lot of that goes away. So it's guaranteed as long as you're on the roster and as long as you're playing, but it's not always real money. So that could be an argument for a plan there. So at the end of the day, Antonio Brown had a plan, evil genius plan. Don't think so. And for those that think he's crazy, which I even mentioned, you know, let's check on this guy's mental health. And I meant that not that I believe that, but there are a lot of people out there saying, oh, he's crazy. He has mental health. I think we can nix that right away because he's certainly a guy who has a hard time controlling his emotions. Sure. But is he planned, calculated, and a businessman? Absolutely. There's just a lot of different ways to do business. Marv, I want to get into this. Week one is under the books, or in the books, I should say. There's a lot a lot of surprises, a lot of interesting things happen in week one. So I want to get into this segment where we go overreaction or not an overreaction based on what we saw in week one. I want to start with this question for you, Marv. Lamar Jackson is a franchise QB after that 158.3, that perfect passer rating. Is Lamar Jackson undoubtedly a franchise QB right now? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's, let's put the brakes on that for a second. Um, I think that's an overreaction that he's a franchise quarterback. I, don't get me wrong. I, I liked what I saw. I watched the whole game. Um, but I still want to see Jackson do this on a weekly, consistent basis. Then we can put him in the same conversation as others who are already franchise quarterbacks. So, yeah, that is an overreaction. I still want to see some more before I start saying this guy is like the second coming of, you know, like John Elway or, you know, any great uh, scrambling quarterback in NFL history. Yeah, I think it's a positive sign, but when you look at the Dolphins, they may be the actual team that would lose to the Alabama. You know how they make those spreads all the time? <laughs> like th- this team could, this best college team could beat the worst NFL team. I'm, I'm kidding, but Miami is one of the worst teams, if not the worst team I've ever seen in my entire life in terms of what they're doing and what they're building. They're just tanking, for lack of a better word. They brought all their safeties down in the box. He was basically just dared to throw, and he proved them that he could throw. So is he more of a threat? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't I don't think we can crown him a franchise quarterback just yet. I saw a lot of shaky tape in college and a lot of lack of ability to throw in the pros. He's making progress, but let's not crown him just yet. All righty. I'll see what you mean. So let me ask you this. Is it time for the Bears to look at moving on from Mitchell Trubisky? Is that an overreaction? I do not believe that's an overreaction, and let me tell you why. Is it possible that Trubisky, after one week, I don't want to exactly overreact to just the one week, but when you look at Trubisky's tape and you look at the evaluation of him, first of all, Pro Football Focus going into the season had the had the analysis that he was the 25th overall quarterback out of 32, and he somehow made the Pro Bowl, which is a disgrace to the Pro Bowl forever and always. But the reality is when you look at him on a stats basis compared to a throw-by-throw basis, 
the two are highly contradictory. If you look at just, uh, but I'll break it down just to the Packer game. He threw four times into double coverage or worse. A couple times it was triple coverage. He went through two progressions, so meaning he looked at one, two receivers, so two receivers or more, three times in the entire game, meaning the other times he looked at two or less, there were a total of 45 throws, so 42 throws he looked to one receiver and then just threw it there or looked somewhere, just looked to run or took a sack. So his inability to look through progressions, he was he had a 16.2 QBR, was 29th in the NFL, and he really didn't make any good throws at all, period, in the entire game. This is his third season, unlike Lamar Jackson. And might I mention, it's in a very quarterback-friendly offense, Matt Nagy. He is a brilliant play designer. And this kid just can't look off two throws. He just can't do it. I don't see a way that he can become a franchise quarterback. There's nothing he's put on tape over three years and the third year is the prove a year. So I'm going with not an overreaction. It is time for the Bears to at least look at alternatives and bring in competition. But I mean, I, I honestly think it's kind of a little overreaction. I mean, I'm not on, I agree with everything, every single statistic you've mentioned regarding Trubisky, but currently in the NFL, it, it lacks uh quarterback talent right now. And I think, you know, he's still young. Yeah, he's in his third year. I still think he just needs a little bit more time to get a little bit more comfortable playing quarterback. Uh, is he a great athlete? Yes. Uh, does he make the right reads? Uh, most of the time he doesn't. But I still think that, you know, with a little bit more uh, polish to his game, he could be a little bit more successful. Is he a franchise quarterback? No, but... I think he's, you know, serviceable guy compared to what some teams in the NFL currently have at quarterback. I think Trubisky isn't too bad, but I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit overreaction. I don't think the Bears should replace him quite yet. So my take on that is there is a lot of talent. I think what you mean is there's not a lot of talent available. I mean, there are some guys that you could debate on that, so I'll give you that, but the problem is, I agree that there's not a lot available that they can move on that would be better. But let me propose a scenario that may work for the Bears to at least, again, like I said, bring in some competition. It may be too much to just dump the guy, but it's not too much to bring in somebody who, if he struggles or in camp next year, that he can compete with if this continues. And the guy I look at, I had to really think about this. The guy I look at is Alex Smith. They have Case Keenum in Washington playing right now. They have Dwayne Haskins waiting in the wing. Alex Smith brutally, gruesomely fractured his leg. He wants to play again. I know he's old, but he's ran Matt Nagy's offense with the Chiefs. He would be very cheap to get, sixth or seventh round pick, probably a seventh round pick. And he might be willing to restructure his contract. Either way, the Bears more than likely can afford him paying Trubisky on a rookie deal and not extending him. So I look at somebody who can at least bring in mentorship and competition because competition is always good for any position, especially when somebody's struggling. It might ele it shows you who they really are. It will either elevate them or really put them in the dumpster. Marv, give me give me give me what you're thinking here. I mean, is it fair to at least bring in competition for the guy? 
Oh, no, I'm all for it. I think that's the best way to elevate someone's play is to bring in competition. Sometimes some of these guys, when they're handed the job, they get very comfortable. And, you know, when you get comfortable, you really don't play up to what you're supposed to, or at least up to the talent that you have. And I think that would be a great idea to bring in someone like Alex Smith who already knows the offense and he will come in and push Trubisky to the limit to where you either give me your job or I'll take it. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah, just to wrap it up, the reality is the Bears have an elite Super Bowl caliber defense and they have a elite coach, elite play designer. So the concern in Chicago should be how can we make the quarterback position better? They don't have a first-round pick next year. They traded that to Oakland. They will have a high second-round pick, most likely from Oakland, and basically a pick swap in that trade. But they should look to at least improve that. Alex Smith would be a guy who would compete for the job. But if he lost, he's been proven to be an excellent mentor and eyes on the side of the field. So they need someone better than Chase Daniel in that position. Marv, the Cowboys had quite the week last week against the Giants. Is it an overreaction to say the Cowboys have proven they are legitimate Super Bowl contenders? I think it's an overreaction. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Cowboys are really talented. They have a really good offensive line. Dak Prescott is playing on a contract year, so he's going to be playing lights out. And their defense is out there hitting and making plays. But... Let's not take away the fact that they played against the Giants, who were bottom dwellers of the NFL and aren't very good at, at stopping offenses. So I think it's an overreaction. I like what I saw from the Gi- uh, from the Cowboys, but I need to see that against a you know pretty good team or a playoff team before I can start saying, man, these guys are, are legit Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I think you're right. We need to pump the brakes on the Cowboys. They played the Giants. Let's wait until they play real competition. Let's see how they do on the road. They have the Eagles to contend with in their division. It's going to be difficult. I think they're in the mix, but I don't know if we want to crown them these Super Bowl contenders or towards the top of that. I have a bonus question. Is it an overreaction to say that the Cowboys should pay Dak? I think it's not an overreaction. Um, I think Dak has earned the right to at least uh, get paid like a starting quarterback in the NFL. Do I think he's worth $40 million a year? No. But I think, you know, he can get paid somewhere in the mix of 25 to $35 million if that's what Jerry wants to give him. But I think he's earned every penny that he deserves. Uh, and in the NFL currently, like I mentioned with Mitchell Trubisky, there's not many guys in the league that um, can basically come in and, and win and be a great quarterback. He's better than possibly 60% of the starting quarterbacks in the league right now. Uh, the NFL, I believe, I, if you look around at all the rosters, not many elite quarterbacks. Not that Dak is elite, but I think he's an above-average quarterback who at least gets the job done when the Cowboys do need him to. So I think he he's earned every bit a penny, you know, any penny, every dollar that uh, Jerry Jones can possibly give him. But I don't think he's worth forty million. Yeah, I'd say I'd have to disagree with you a little bit. It's a bit of an overreaction, in the sense that again, it's one game against the Giants at home while he's comfortable. There's really no chance you're going to lose there. 
I would have to agree just based on the fact I would have to slightly agree with you based on the fact of how Jerry's been able to build these deals into the salary cap. Jerry is a master negotiator and a great planner when it comes to PR and managing the cap. Hadn't always been a great drafter of talent, but his son, Steven, seems to have fixed that in terms of them working together to draft because their drafts have been phenomenal, the best in the NFL over the last several years because they've built a lot of homegrown talent, which gives them the opportunity to re-sign it and fit it all under the cap. The cap is a messy situation that we won't go into, but they're, they've signed Lawrence, they've signed Zeke, they're signing everyone to club-friendly deals. And yeah, they can afford to pay Dak Prescott that 25 to $30 million, and there's not a lot of other options. So I'll soften my stance against Dak in that sense. But let's not get carried away. It was the Giants. They have one of the worst rosters on paper in the NFL, and they proved it. And there's no chance that Eli Manning is going to come into your house and beat you a year older than last year when he was already terrible. So it's a bit of an overreaction. I would like to see a little bit more of what Dak can do. And if he proves me wrong, good for him. I'd love for to see him get paid. But for Jerry to say he's no doubt worth over 30, give me a break. I don't see that yet. 20, 25 million, uh, I think, would be a good market price because I don't see a lot of teams that are going to pay him more than that. So, JR, going back to the Packers. After week one, do you believe they have a Super Bowl-ready defense? Is that an overreaction? I have, I have to say that this is not an overreaction. When you look at the game, yes, they played against Trubisky. Let's not forget in this argument, again, I'm almost arguing against myself, that Trubisky, Tremont Williams of the Packers said, all we needed to do was make the quarterback play quarterback and we would win. So... <laughs> It's not everything, but I believe going into the season that the Packers did have a Super Bowl defense. And let's make no mistake, Trubisky was a pro bowler last year. The Bears were 12-4, and four, and the Packers held the Bears to no touchdowns and three points. If you told me the Packers scored 10 points in that game, I'd tell you they definitely lost, even though I'm not a fan of Trubisky. So with that being said, look, it was a big division win, so it means a lot more than some of the other games. And the Bears were a good team last year. It's their second year under Mike Patton. It takes some time to usually implement defense and get the scheme players in there. Clay Matthews was a star in the past. He didn't fit the scheme. He couldn't kind of drop back and rush. In Patton's defense, is a little bit more of confusing looks. So it was kind of hard to implement that. They've drafted all defense and done really well at drafting those picks. Rashawn Gary hardly even played he was their number 12 overall pick. He played a few snaps because he was a little banged up. And you look at that secondary, they were flying around everywhere. I already had the Packers to win the division without a doubt. But Marv, you had him in last place, I like to point out. <laughs> are you, are you going to push back on me saying the Bears, I'm sorry, the Packers have a Super Bowl defense? Both the Bears and Packers have a Super Bowl defense, by the way, but only one has a Super Bowl quarterback. Well, that's true. Marv, are you going to adjust? I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you going to adjust your pick for the Packers being in last place in the NFC North? I'm going to move them up a spot. I still feel that, you know, they were playing, like we mentioned for reasons earlier, that the Bears' offense has not looked up to par. Trubisky is still being Trubisky. So, as like we quoted Trumaine Williams said, all they had to do was make him play quarterback, basically saying that, you know, make this guy play quarterback, we don't have to do much, but just, you know, force him to make passes, which we know he can't complete. And so that to me tells me the coaching is really good. 
on the defensive side, but I still, I still, I'm, I still got to see what they do this week versus the Vikings. And if I, you know, if their defense shows up and shuts down the Vikings and the Packers beat the Vikings at home, which I'm sure everyone's expecting, but uh, if they do go through with that, then I'll start changing my tune a little bit on what I think about the the Packers. Now, was I impressed? Yes. I didn't overreact like, you know, a lot of people, but I did see a lot of improvements in their defense, which I was surprised to see. But I'm still, you know, on the I'm still sticking to my prediction until I see a little bit more. Once I see a little bit more, then I'll, I'll start changing what I my thought on the Packers season. So I take it you're going to be a huge Viking fan, Marv, so you don't have to eat a crow next week. <laughs> <laughs> Packers favored by three points. Uh, it's going to be a close game. I hear all you're saying. I just believe the Packers were going to be a elite team this year going in, and it's just more data that tells me that they are going to be elite and that they have a real defense. And look, the, the standard for a Super Bowl defense for Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback isn't the same as – the standard for a lower-end quarterback such as a Dak Prescott, such as a Trubisky, or other quarterbacks that just aren't elite like Aaron Rodgers. So if we're looking at a team that's a top-10 defense, which I definitely believe they will be, you, you have a Super Bowl defense there. But we'll see how it plays out against the Vikings. As I mentioned, the Packers are a three-point favorite. Marv and I are trying to get you to make some money this week and put, put a little down on some games. So we're going to get into our three picks of the week to bet. We are going to go into the spread. The gambling industry is becoming huge in the United States. It's all over. It's becoming legalized in more and more states every day. It's drawing more and more ratings to the NFL. We want to give you our picks and a little reasoning for why. Marv, I want to start with you. Who's your first pick of the week? My first pick of the week, um, well, let's get this straight. This week I'm going all underdogs. I, I like to, I like taking chances on underdogs. So I was really analyzing and looking at some of the picks. And one of the games that stood out to me the most was plus nine and a half Jacksonville at Houston. Uh, as we saw Houston play on Monday night, they played a great game. They were valiant. They stood in there with the saints to the end, but their defense is what stood out to me that struggled to stop the saints. And I think the Jaguars, watching them play against the Kansas City Chiefs, even after Nick Foles went down, their quarterback played pretty well, the rookie. And I think that they can cover those nine and a half points on the road versus the Houston Texans in a rivalry divisional game. So I like the Jacksonville Jaguars plus nine and a half. Yeah, I like that pick. I like Houston to win the game. But it's a division game. Statistically, division games are decided by one score. And you look at the Garrett Menshaw, is that his name? I don't know how to pronounce it, but the backup quarterback. Look, the guy started 12 for 12. He had 271 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. By the way, he happened to have a 42 wonderlick, which on a scale to 50, when your average quarterback is a 25, he's a really, really bright guy. So I see potential sustained success. I see the number as a value pick, and I really like that pick. Marv, I love that you like to pick the dogs. I like to pick dogs, but I got a couple favorites on my card this week. Don't love it, but this, it's a tough week. Uh, my first pick of the week, 
look no further than Thursday night. I have the Carolina Panthers at minus six and a half. My number one reason is that Jameis Winston is the quarterback for Tampa Bay, and he loves throwing to the other team more than he loves to throw to his own wide receivers. Look, in all seriousness, it's a new offense. The guy struggles as is. Bruce Arians might be able to correct his flaws as the season goes on, but he's only has three days to prepare before another game day. So there's not going to be a lot of difference in mentality, a lot of difference in schematics. It's going to be largely the same. Carolina came off a really tough road loss. I mean, I'm sorry, a home loss, one that that they should have won. They're at home again. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 0-7 straight up against the Carolina Panthers in their last seven (laughs) matchups. They're 4-8 against the spread. I'm sorry, they're 0-7. Let me take a step back. They're 0-7 straight up in their last seven games. They're 3-9 against Carolina straight up, and they're 4-8 against the spread. So this number on trend looks really good for Carolina to win by a touchdown. I look at them controlling the ball, controlling the clock, forcing turnovers. Carolina wins pretty big, 27 to 20. I like that pick. And reason being, it's being a, even though I'm a big Florida State uh, alumni and fan and James Winston fan, that guy is taking a step back, and I think he's going to continue regressing and throwing interceptions and turning the ball over versus the Panthers. And I believe the Panthers will win big. Uh, the Panthers have a lot of firepower on offense. Uh, I think McCaffrey is a stud and possibly – the most complete running back I've seen in the NFL in a while. So I, I like the Panthers to cover and possibly win big against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before your next pick, Mark, Marv, I have to mention that I also attended Florida State University. And as you know, I have always thought Jameis Winston was trash. So let America that know that true. I'm the voice of <laughs> – let America know that I put my biases aside and I am the voice of truth and reason. So. Marv, give us your second pick. Second pick, people may think I'm crazy for making this, but I'm sticking to my trend of picking dogs. And I like the <laughs> – I'm laughing saying this, but I like the Miami Dolphins to cover 18 and a half against the New England Patriots in Miami. Oh, no, Marv. No, Marv. No, Marv. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, when's the last time you've seen someone cover a spread so large, especially on the road? even if it's the worst team. I remember a few years back when the 49ers were in this kind of predicament like the Dolphins were, and the Patriots, I think, were like either 13 or 16-point favorites. The 49ers gave them a, a run for their money the whole game and barely lost, I believe, by like 10 points, so they still covered their spread. So I think at the end of the game, Patriots will probably be up big, and then they'll let the Dolphins get back in there, and then I think the Dolphins will cover the 18 and a half points. I can't say I absolutely hate it, but I really hate giving up that many points no matter what. When you look at a team who is so stringent in their preparation in the Patriots, and you look at a Dolphins team that was just flat out embarrassed, I, I, they're just so bad. I, I don't know. The Patriots just don't seem to have any letdowns. They don't seem to have any letdowns whatsoever. And Tom Brady is not a human being, I don't think. I think he's a programmed robot from Terminator. And it's just, I don't know. I, I could see them winning by three touchdowns very easily. You got everyone in Miami asking for a trade because they don't even want to play for this team anymore. That team is 
far <laughs> off the rails as you could be. So I don't I like to bet numbers, not the teams. I think it's a good number to take traditionally, but I think this one might fall outside of the statistical analysis, but I'll I'll I respect it. My second pick, I have to take the Denver Broncos plus two and a half. I'd really like to see that number at three, and I'd even probably buy a half a point, but it's at two and a half. I really like Denver. Denver is almost unexplainable at home in September. They are seven and two at home in the month of September since Peyton Manning retired. So in the last three years, they're seven and two at home. If you think about that, their quarterbacks over the last seven and two, they had no business winning any of those games, let alone being seven and two in those games. They get the point. Not only do they not have to win, they get two and a half points against a team that struggled to score last week that scored three points. Let's not forget the Denver Broncos head coach happens to be Vic Fangio, the former D coordinator of the Chicago Bears who they're playing. So he knows all Trubisky's tendencies. And it doesn't take a lot of tendencies to know that he's pretty bad according to film, according to Tremont Williams. So like we discussed, their September at home numbers are so good. The Bears look so bad. It's tough to play at that altitude. The Broncos have an elite defense. I'm taking the Broncos in the points. I'll take the Broncos to win the game as well, 17-13. I like that pick. And guess what? Me being a homer, I'm also taking the Broncos plus two and a half. It's it's not only a disrespect, but a slap in the face at the Broncos. Uh, at their home opening or season opening game, they're underdogs already. So I know they're going to see that and they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. And like your man Tremaine Williams said, they're going to force uh, Trubisky to play quarterback. And this is a copycat league. So I'm sure the Broncos right now are watching what the Packers did so well to shut down Trubisky. And they're going to try to mimic everything they did. That way, if, you know, they, they won't allow the running game to beat them, they'll force Trubisky to beat them through the air. So it should be an interesting game, but I think the Broncos should outright win. I think it'll be a close game since both offenses are struggling. Me being a Broncos fan, I'll tell you firsthand, our offense struggled week one. And I think, you know, it's still, they're still in the, in the, how I say, gelling phase where everyone's getting to know each other and learning tendencies and the quarterback's getting used to his receivers. So I think it's going to be a pretty low scoring game. Like you mentioned, maybe a 10 to 13 type of game. And it'll go down to like a last second field goal type thing where the Broncos win and, you know, off of a field goal with a Brian McManus kicking a game winner or something like that. So that's the type of game I think it's going to be. It's going to be a defensive, hard fought, uh, old school football game. No doubt about it. The Broncos are certainly not without their flaws. But Marv, I just wanted to point out that you said that they're going to copy what the Packers did. You mean they're going to send 11 players out there to play defense? I don't really think it takes a lot more than that to stop the offense. But okay, okay, I'm getting a little mean. I'm getting a little mean. Based on what I saw, though, that's pretty much all it needs to look like. All it looked like you need to do. Uh, but that was one game. He's had good games. I'm getting. I'm getting a little mean. Anyways. Uh, Marv, your third pick, who do you have? Denver, plus two and a half, for the reasons I uh, basically uh, said. I think, yeah, Broncos should take it easily at home. I mean, not easily, but it's going to be a a tough fight game. The crowd's going to be wild. That mile high 
altitude is going to be tough for the traveling bears to get used to. And early in September, it's going to be warm outside. So the humidity is going to be high and the air is going to be thin. And so it's, I think the Broncos win at the end of the game, like I said, 10 to 13. As you know, I agree. I just have to apologize to our listeners. I couldn't get Marv to not make the Broncos his third pick. Unfortunately, you'll only be able to make money off five games this week from us. You'll have to look elsewhere if you want to make any more. (laughs) Um, For my third and final pick, I have to pick the Steelers. Again, I don't like to eat the points. They're four and a half point favorites. I, I hate eating points. I love betting dogs. It's a hard week to bet. There's a lot of interesting matchups, a lot of better teams on the road um, facing lesser teams, and those are very unpredictable in the NFL. But you get the Steelers at home, four-and-a-half-point favorites. They were embarrassed on national television. They are an excellent franchise with an excellent quarterback. Those teams tend to bounce back really well. You look at Seattle, they played at home. They won by two points, and they really got lucky in doing so against Andy Dalton. They let Andy Dalton throw for 418 yards. So for those of you concerned about Ben Roethlisberger and the the Pittsburgh Steelers' weapons, I there's no concern on my end. Not to mention Andy Dalton didn't have A.J. Green. I, I, I just don't see a way that that, that was a quality win. They're, now they go on the road against a team that's highly motivated to not go 0-2. And they were just completely embarrassed and they just weren't ready for the spotlight. Those teams always bounce back. Seattle is one six and one against the spread in September. They're a slow starting team. I think Seattle's gonna end up just fine if they don't win this game. It means a lot more to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's at home, change of coasts. You're starting, you know, when you're when you're on the West Coast, it's a early kickoff for you. Your body clock's off. So I really like the Pittsburgh Steelers. By four and a half, I think they'll win by a touchdown. I think there'll be a, quite a bit of scoring in there, but I think it'll be 35-28 Steelers. I like that pick. Um, I normally don't like point spreads that are weird like that, like four and a half or four. I normally like, you know, three or minus two and a half. But the Steelers, like you said, they're out to prove something, and they're not going to have a second week in a row where they're going to struggle. As you mentioned, uh, Andy Dalton had a career day. And it's no lie, people, uh, listeners, you guys can look up the stats. He had a career day against the Seattle Seahawks, over 400 plus 418 yards. yards. 418 and yards. that's without his top wide receiver, might I add. He had uh, guys that never showed up but since, like, for example, John Ross had 158 yards, two touchdowns. Who would have guessed that? Ow, I couldn't have predicted that. But he did it against the Seahawks, who... I think look vulnerable in the secondary and the Steelers are right now, how I say like sharks in the water, they're looking to attack and put up some points at home. So I I think the Steelers will win pretty, pretty well, pretty comfortable versus the Seahawks at home. The Seattle in September is not known as a great road team. So I think Steelers will cover that spread. And here's a question on that note, Marv. Other than Jadavian Clowney, who we know just got traded, and a side note, I think he's overrated and not a play-to-play player. He's a big play player, meaning he shows up big every once in a while but doesn't show up on a regular basis based on the film. And then you know everybody knows Bobby Wagner. 
Can you name anyone else on the Seahawks? Because I feel like the Seahawks defense gets a pass as, oh, the Seahawks defense is good. But who do they even have left? Well, they've gotten rid of their two elite safeties. They got rid of their only elite corner. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head who else they have on that defense other than the guys you uh, mentioned. They got rid of Michael Bennett. I mean, the list goes on. They got rid of so many guys that I don't know what they're thinking that they can plug and play and maybe think they're going to get another elite player, which I highly doubt. In today's game, the way the game has been evolving, you have to have elite secondary to stop a lot of these air raid quarterbacks. And Big Ben is an air raid quarterback, and he's going to light them up when they meet in uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Michael Bennett's gone. Earl Thomas is gone. No more Richard Sherman. So these guys just get a pass. And when you look at the number, Vegas knows you'll be apprehensive to bet a favorite. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who got embarrassed on national TV when everybody saw it. So the number is really valuable. The reason why I keep it so close is because Russell Wilson is magic. And Pete Carroll has always proven to keep his guys ready. But they, they don't have any talent on defense. And they've always lacked talent on offense. Doug Baldwin's no longer there. He retired. So I think Seattle's a team that's really getting a pass based on Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll being able to just figure it out. And granted, I think over the season they will and they'll be competitive, but they're not coming into Heinz Field and beating the Steelers. And I, I don't really think it's going to be all that close other than for the reason, illogical, inexplainable reason that you just can't count Russell Wilson out. Even when he's lost in the NFC Championship game, he somehow wins. So I guess the only thing we can count against him was the the, the pass on on, on the goal line, on the one-yard line, the Super Bowl. But he didn't call that pass, and that was an amazing play. So the guy just always finds a way to win. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening to the sports wrap-up. We really appreciate you. Uh, we hope to be engaged with you uh, throughout the week. Hit up Marv on uh, Twitter. That's at – let's see, I, I have it written down. That's at Marv underscore wrap-up. Also want to mention it's really helpful if you leave a review for us. You leave a five-star review on iTunes, on Stitcher. It helps our podcast get exposure. So we'd really appreciate that if you're a listener and you enjoyed what you're listening to. We'd love to get a review from you. Marv, you got anything else for the people? Just keep on listening. Get those five-star reviews in. And we appreciate all you guys helping us uh, get to where we're trying to get and uh, bringing you guys up to the minute news. Uh, every week and when we wrap it up for you guys that's all we got for you people thanks so much for listening and you have a great week